93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and uprocks.com. I am your host, Stephen Hyden. Today we are going to be talking about the new Arcade Fire record, Everything Now. Um, I reviewed this record last week on uprocks.com. Uh, my review was not very positive. I believe I used the words cranky and condescending in the headline. Uh, so, uh, not a very positive review, but you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it on this podcast because this is one of the big anticipated rock records of the year. We have a bunch of big indie records coming up over the horizon. This is sort of the, the opening salvo. Um, and while I didn't love the record, I am interested Uh, in talking more about it. I think it's a fascinating record. And uh, to talk about the record with me in this episode is going to be Jeremy Gordon of Spin Magazine. Uh, He reviewed the record as well. Uh, And uh, we had an interesting talk about it. A lot to delve into with this band and and this record. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this week's episode. And it is our old friends at Blue Apron. Blue Apron, of course, is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. It is their mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone, which they achieve by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Now, as I have said many times on this podcast, I use Blue Apron. I've used it because I'm not a great cook. I'm not a great planner of meals. Um, But I want to make sure that my family eats right. And uh, Blue Apron is a good way to do that if Again, you're not good at planning your menu ahead of time. They kind of do it for you. And let me tell you about some of the meals that they have coming up. It's basil pesto chicken with summer vegetable panzanella, I think that is. Sauteed shrimp and green beans with globe tomatoes. Whole grain pasta and summer vegetables. Miso butter salmon and lo mein noodles. And meatball pizza with fresh mozzarella cheese and charmed tomatoes. As you can tell, these dishes are hard for me to read. <laughs> they're that complicated, but they're not complicated to make. It's delicious food uh, with fresh ingredients. Uh, it's going to go far beyond sort of the quick meals that you might have to make if you're as busy as I am with a family at home. To further entice you to try this great product, we have a special deal for our Celebration Rock listeners. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com celebration. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash celebration. Again, that's blueapron.com slash celebration. That's Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So me and Jeremy, we talked about everything now. Like I said, I reviewed the record last week. You know, Arcade Fire is always a fascinating band because I think on one hand that they are the most beloved or one of the most beloved indie bands of the last 10 or so years. You know, records like Funeral, Neon Bible, The Suburbs, uh, they had a big impact. You know, they're the kinds of records that change people's lives, you know, as hyperbolic as that sounds. People really feel that passionate about Funeral. And yet, while they're the most beloved band, in some ways they become the biggest target in indie rock. They're the, they're the band that people, I don't think they love to hate Arcade Fire, but they certainly love to make jokes about Arcade Fire. <laughs> and there's also this sense that as good as those early records are, as, as beloved as they are, uh, that maybe Arcade Fire has disappointed people. It creates this very impassioned discussion. Because I, I also know, I know this from experience, that there are also 
Arcade Fire fans who still really love what the band does, and they feel that this band has been treated unfairly by the press. Um, I've heard from those people a lot on Twitter over the past, uh, say, couple weeks or so. There's a lot to unpack with this band and a lot to unpack with this record. And, and, and Jeremy and I got down to it trying to get to the bottom of what it is about this record that works, that doesn't work, and where we see Arcade Fire going forward. So without further ado, here is me and Jeremy Gordon from Spin Magazine. Jeremy, thank you for coming on to talk about uh, this record. Uh, before we get into this, before we talk about the record, uh, I, I want to ask you something about this sort of fake campaign that Arcade Fire had, you know, for people who aren't familiar, Arcade Fire posted a bunch of like fake music reviews of their record like a week before it came out, and it, they were they were like parodies of, of like Stereo Gum, and I think there was like a Hollywood Reporter one, and there were a couple other ones. And I noticed the byline on the Stereo Gum parody, which was Stereo Yum. The writer, I think the the writer's name is Jeremy Young, which I assume is a fake name. And I'm wondering, do you think Arcade Fire is doing deep satire on the music industry where they know that there are Jeremy's at every other like big music publication other than Stereo Gum? Because there's you and there's like Jeremy Larson at Pitchfork. Is are you like when you saw? Is there any kind of like Jeremy subtweeting going on in this regard? You think? It's a pretty exciting idea, I do have to say. <laughs> I mean, of course, I thought to myself. Uh, Seth Arises, uh, Jeremy Larson and I has made for a pretty good, you know, it's like a cute little way to call this certain era of uh, writing, you know, the, the Jeremy era. No, um, I mean, God, that would be very screwed up if that was the case. I think you got to own that. The fire are more preoccupied with other things for whoever works for them. Um, but God, I guess when you say it like that, it's very possible. I think, you know, I'm going to call it the Jeremy era. I think that this is a an official recognition of that. Like, because again, like when I saw that review, that's where my brain went immediately. I'm like, oh, this, it's like they have studied this so closely that they know that Jeremy, that there's Jeremy's everywhere. So they're going to call him Jeremy Young, like as their fake music critic. So, right. Of course, you know, he's young because all music writers are young and dumb, according to <laughs> Arcade Fire and their new worldview. Um, and I think that's, you know, expressed on the record a little bit. You know, we're all just these young, young kids out there trying to get our kick right. from critiquing uh, the big band on the internet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a very, very time golden. Great daughter for an album, you know. Uh, they could have picked so many things, but they picked this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this is a good segue to talk about the record, you know, and you've, you've kind of touched on some of the criticisms, criticisms of the record. You know, we're, we're talking on Thursday afternoon, so your review hasn't gone up yet, to my knowledge. So no, I, I think it it's going not. up to, it's going up Friday. So it will have already been up by the time this podcast posts. Um, but, you know, my review went up earlier in the week and, you know, in my headline of the, of the review, you know, I called the record cranky and condescending. You know, I think that, you know, kind of like what you just said, it's a very sort of finger pointy record looking at modern culture as a whole, but I think youth culture specifically on several songs sort of talking about, you know, vapid kids being on the internet, maybe being sort of gluttonous with, uh, you know, mass consumption and all this stuff. Um, and for me, it, 
the sourness of the record is a turnoff. There's there's just there's just like a sourness to this to the songs on this record. Uh, sort of even removed from the music on the record, which I think at times is okay. Other times I think is like kind of inept. But just the lyrical perspective on the record, I think, was a big turnoff for me. Um, for you, you know, having not read your review, like, what is your general take on this record? Like, what are you, what are your feelings towards it? Do you like the record? Do you dislike the record? Uh, how, like, wh- where are you, like, where are you at, at this point? Uh, I think it's not very good <laughs> overall. I think there are a couple songs that are uh, stunning or enjoyable, but looking at it, I mean, like right off the bat, there's like five songs that are just totally worthless. So you listen to them once and you're just never going to, I never wanted to return to them again. And it's like a 13 song record. Uh, so even just by the numbers alone, it's pretty underwhelming. But yeah, I would say that sourness is a big turnoff because, you know, in general, I think it's pretty tricky when any band wants to start uh, pointing the finger at, you know, the listeners and this is wrong, especially when it's a band, you know, very successful uh, upper class indie rock band who has had made, you know, a lot of money and benefit of a lot from their career. Uh, you really have to, you know, I don't think it's an unfair topic to broach, but you kind of have to have more, either better music or better insights than just what they have. I mean, the one, there's one song on the record, uh, infinite content where the refrain is just infinite content we're infinitely content which is just such like entry level twitter deep nonsense that you know any media theorist or fiction writer or essayist worth of salt was saying years and years and years ago um and you know i think there's because these ideas are now so so commonplace in 2017 to just reiterate the obvious just seems so boring to me. You know, they're not looking to the future. They're not predicting what things will be. You know, they're just kind of like taking a stand on the box and saying this is crappy right now. And, uh, you know, people criticized the Father John Misty record earlier this year, which I didn't really like either. But that record just looked genius compared to this, even on like a basic lyrical level uh, in terms of drawing from real... Uh, reserves of humor and anger. And I didn't enjoy the record at all, but in terms of records that, uh, you know, point the finger back at society, this just seems very simplistic and not good. Yeah, I mean, that you know, you bring up a, I think a natural comparison to pure comedy, the Father John Misty album, which if you listen to this podcast or you read my writing, you know that I love that record. I know you said you don't like it. Um, that's like one of my favorite albums of the year. And I actually almost went on a tangent about that record in my Arcade Fire review, almost purely out of self-consciousness, because I felt like, am I criticizing this record for all the things that I said I loved about the Father John Misty record? I mean, if if someone wanted to nail me, you, you could say that I was being hypocritical there. I think the difference to me between the records is execution. I think the Father John Misty record is a much funnier, more insightful, uh, more moving record than the Arcade Fire record. I think the music is much more beautiful and better rendered. Um, Even if it is hitting on a lot of the same themes and there is sort of, I guess, truth-telling aspect of both records, they're making similar observations about 
modern culture, uh, this idea that we're, you know, going down the wrong track, that we're overloaded with, with information and yet we're not really processing any of it. You know, that's, that's sort of the idea behind both of those records. But for me, I, I feel like when I listen to the Father John Misty record, again, this kind of goes back to the finger pointing aspect, is that I feel like he's not excluding himself from these things that he's talking about. That right. I, I think that he feels that he is complicit in a lot of the things, you know, that you know, he's also a guy that's on the internet all the time. He's also a guy that is preoccupied with a lot of the stupid things that we're all that all of us who are on the internet too much, all the things that we're preoccupied with, you know, like with social media and, and all that sort of garbage that comes out of that. Um, I also think that like the the sort of media campaign that accompanied the Father John Misty record, it's not necessarily reflective of the content of the record. I don't think that the record necessarily is as snarky as some of the media stuff was. Whereas I feel like a lot of what Arcade Fire has been doing in their press campaign with you know everything from like the Kendall Jenner t-shirts to the fidget spinners to like the fake album reviews to this dress code that wasn't really a dress code and might have been a miscommunication but also might have been a hoax you know no one's quite sure to me it all kind of comes from this sort of holier than thou condescending perspective that's irritating deeply irritating and and it's also reflective of what's on the record. Like the record also has that same point of view. So, I mean, in that respect, this campaign that Arcade Fire did for the record, I think it was representative of what their artistic intent was on the album. Like, you know, they're sort of holier than thou when they promote their record and they're holier than thou on the record. And for me, again, like that was the big turnoff listening to it, ultimately. It just killed it for me. Um... But, you know, we're not really talking about the music. I mean, do you feel like the music sort of divorced from the, from the lyrics? Do you, like, how do you feel like that works on this record? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think a couple of the songs on the record are pretty great. I think Put Your Money On Me sounds great. We Don't Deserve Love, great. Uh, the title track is charming. I do like Creature Comfort, but I do, yeah, I mean, I just think a lot of the songs are just, not very good. I mean, Peter Pan is terrible. <laughs> Chemistry, awful. Infinite content, who needs it? Um, yeah, and so I think the record was better. The campaign might be less annoying, but, you know, we're not talking about an alternate history where they made their masterpiece. I feel like this is inarguably their worst record. Um, yeah. I can't imagine uh, having a different opinion of that. I mean, obviously, you can have different opinions on it, but at least uh, to me, I don't think they've ever made a record that that was this thin uh, in terms of concept and sound. I mean, I didn't enjoy Reflector at all, but at least they wrote songs that weren't just refrains of the same boring refrain, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know... the question of like, is this the worst Arcade Fire record? I agree that it's the most inconsequential. Like it feels like an echo of of Reflector in a lot of ways, uh, musically and also just thematically. Like if someone had just presented this as like a collection of outtakes from Reflector, I would not have questioned it. You know, it, it feels like an extension of that record in a lot of ways. Um, I would say that, this record is easier to get through than Reflector is. Like I haven't listened to Reflector in a long time, but 
Um, so, you know, I don't really want to either, but like my memory of that record is that it was just a slog, that it was a very long mm-hmm. record. All the songs are very long and it just wasn't, and you know, and I like long records, but it felt long. You know, there's a difference between a record that's long, that engages you, that you feel like has some substance to it because of the length. And then there's records that just feel like they're overstuffed and, you know, like, 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 like an overstuffed meal. Like you, you, like you just feel overly full and sick by the time you're done, you know, with this banquet or whatever. That's what Reflector feels like to me. So Uh like, I would say like everything now is a more listenable record in that regard. Um, but, you know, you've talked about these sort of awful songs on the record. You mentioned Peter Pan, Chemistry, Infinite Content. Um, there's another song. It's called, like, Electric Blue or something. That, that's, like, in the middle. That's sort of kind of like a iffy song. These are all the songs in the middle of the record. Like, I think the record starts out okay. You have the title track, Everything Now. I think Signs of Life is the next song. Creature Comfort It might be the third track. Mm-hmm. It's around there. I mean, I don't like Creature Comfort at all, really. I mean, the music, I think, is all right. The lyrics, to me, are super annoying. That part about like, where they reference their own record, that the girl who's like listening to Funeral, and she's sort of contemplating killing herself. I don't know. That whole part, it, it, to me, there's just sort of like, it almost feels like they're mocking their own fans. In that, am I misreading that lyric? I had some fans kind of reach out and say, "I think you're misinterpreting that song." To Honestly, me, I think it was poking fun at her. I think it's a pretty, um, yeah. I took it as pretty uh, on the level. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, I don't know how I would read it, but I definitely don't think it's um, pointing fun. Even just like because of the way his voice sounds, like it seems clear to me that he is doing a serious reading on something rather than this kind of mocky, uh, wistful thing, you know, like, you know, it sounds like every, the, the title track sounds like he's making fun throughout it, but Creature Comfort, the reason why I like it, because he actually, it sounds like foreboding and ominous and kind of like, uh, you know, creepy in a sense. So no, I definitely didn't think he was making fun of. I don't know track. though. Just like when they say like the "God make me famous" part, like the the, I, I guess that's probably Regine singing that part. It just sounds like a mocking voice of this girl. I don't know. I, to, at, at the very least, to me, it's muddled. You know. I, you I know. think what you can say for sure is that because they the advanced campaign has been so satirical and uh, and again in a way that's to me pretty corny with the fake serial and the fake corporations and the fake press releases and the fake reviews and all that stuff that if you've been paying attention to it, it does cast real doubt on the, their ability to be earnest on record. It's pretty stunning because, you know, say what you will about their music before, but they were already, you can never doubt the clarity of like their earnestness, you know, uh, and you know, any of the first three records. I mean, God, they made a concept record about being nostalgic for the suburbs, sort of. <laughs> like, you cannot get more, like, bread and butter, sentimental, you know, in your feelings than that. And now this one, they're trying to, like, wink, and it's just not not their strong suit, I think. See, like, you know, and you and I talked about this before, you know, a couple of days ago before the podcast, you know, I mean, I feel like your feeling is, is that their cynicism on this record is sort of affected or put up or, or, or it's like a put on. I don't think it is. I think that they actually are a pretty cynical band in terms of how they view 
young people and how they view the, view their own audience. Um, I think that th- again, there's this sort of patronizing attitude towards a lot of people where they, I think they feel like, you know, a lot of young people, maybe even people who like them are stupid. And that's sort of the message of a lot of these songs. And it, it's such a turnoff for me. I, 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 to me, I feel like there was an empathy to their early music that is not on this record. I, at least not until the end. I feel like the last third of the record, which is sort of like the least messagey part of the record, like it, and it feels like, you know, I guess Win Butler, if we just want to ascribe the point of view of the record to him, it feels like a, a guy who's like in his late thirties talking about his life. Like that's what those records, feel, that's what those kind of la- those final songs feel like. And to me, it's the best part of the record. And I, you know, and you mentioned some of those songs. Put uh, put your money on me, and uh, we don't deserve love. I would agree are, are you know, maybe the two best songs on the record. And I kind of wish the whole record was like that. It's this early part of the record where, you know, again they're trying to make this grand statement about stuff that I don't feel like they totally understand. I feel like they're on the outside. It almost like the analogy I made in my review was that it feels a little bit like Gen Xers on Facebook complaining about millennials. Like that's what that section of the record feels like to me. And right. I, I, I just, I don't know. Again, it, it just seems sour to me in a way that maybe the father John Misty record isn't, even if you could make, you could describe that record maybe in a similar way, but I don't know. I, I, I get a warmth from that record that I don't get from this record. The, the feeling I had was, uh, in listening to the lyrics and kind of going down some of the rabbit holes of arcade player fandom on the internet because, you know, it's a great thing to do to go on Reddit or any other forum where you just see people talking about this stuff all day. I feel like the record sort of brings back some of that classic, like, indie rock snobbishness of feeling better than other audiences. I mean, to me, the power that a fan would get from the record would not be feel judged by arcade fire but to feel like you know you agree with them like yeah finally someone was uh calling out all this rapid culture um which i definitely did not get from the father's on history record again because i think he's so much more specific and unsparing in his judgment uh whatever you want to say about the music but yeah the arcade fire record not only is it the band kind of elevating themselves above the discord but also sort of allowing people who feel as like simplistically cynical about it to join them and be like, yeah, there's some, finally someone saying it. Finally, the one person in the world has pointed out that we've got too many streams and too many uh, websites and too much media, you know? Um, and, you know, I don't want to criticize and be, I don't want to criticize anybody who really feels empowered by this stuff, but it's just not, uh, you know, well, the thing is that I agree with them on a lot of this stuff. Like that's what, you know, like I agree that there's too much information and that the internet is stupid and that a lot of things that they were making fun of in their press campaign, even like the, their fake record reviews, some of the parts of that I was like, you know, I, I, I can relate to it. I mean, you know, I, I mean, you and I both we're both submerged in the culture of music writing. So if you're submerged in the music of culture, uh, if you're submerged in the culture of music writing part of you hates that culture. Like no one is more angry about music writing than other music writers. But, you know, just the tone of it though, it's like they're able to like turn me against an argument that I would be sympathetic to. 
like in any other context, you know, just the delivery of it and the way that they go about it. To me, it, it just annoys me, even though they say things I agree with. Right. I mean, I think it's pretty dicey territory for a band that becomes suddenly becomes so preoccupied with, uh, you know, hopping into their mentions and fighting the good fight. Uh, you know, again, Father John Misty may be online too much, but he's always committed to it. I kind of respect that, and he's self-aware and humorous. But, yeah, it just seems like there's better critiques of this to be made. Because, uh, yeah, I agree, large parts of the culture that they are making fun of in some of the press campaign are bad. But, you know, nobody is going to disagree with the point that, like, bad writing should not be on the Internet. <laughs> and I think ultimately what a lot of critiques you know, when people say, like, oh, there's too many, too many types of first-person record reviews, or there's too many types of this, or too much of that. You know, anything can be good. It's really just a problem with the stuff that's very bad. Um, so, yeah, is there too much? Absolutely. But I just don't think that they're really uh, aiming at the right target. Yeah. Uh, the full, you know, obviously a much larger conversation, but to attack the writer who's getting paid you know, whatever, a couple hundred bucks to have a much to review a record or the website that's doing an assignment because it fits with their, uh, you know, editorial vision. Like, I get it, but it's just kind of cheap picking. Like, there's so much bigger targets. Like, why didn't they make a song about, like, uh, publicists or something, you know? Well, yeah, and, it's, and at some point, it just sort of defeats the purpose of whatever you're trying to do. I mean, I feel like... And this is something I wrote about in, in in my piece, but that, you know, like like on my Twitter feed this week, I had there were two kind of main topics of conversation. You had people talking about the healthcare debate, which is this life and death struggle that millions of people online are are mobilized about. You know, it's and it's a real thing. And the other thing was people making jokes about the Arcade Fire dress code. You know, and it was like, you know, Arcade Fire is in the frivolous side. You know, and and by satirizing the frivolousness of the internet, they've they've failed to transcend the the, the silliness of that. They, they've only become another party, you know, to it. They've they've contributed to the noise. They haven't, you know, clarified the noise. They haven't cut through the noise. And I think that's the ultimate failure of this record. Like, if you want to, you know, because I had so many Arcade Fire fans tweet at me talking about like this is satire and you're not getting it, you know, but. It's like I understand that it's satire. It's just bad satire. You know, it doesn't clarify. Satire is meant to clarify an issue. It's meant to sort of say something that's true through the through the use of humor that cuts through a lot of the bullshit that exists in in culture or the media or whatever. But this record just creates more bullshit. It doesn't cut through anything. So if it's satire, it fails on every level in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Uh... You know, also, no, yeah, I agree. It's not a very good satire. I don't think they've clarified anything. There's, It's not very funny. I mean, what's satirical <laughs> about it? Like, what's humorous about any part of this record? And moreover, why does anyone want to listen to a satire from what is, you know, what was once lauded as, like, the greatest arena rock band since U2 or the Foo Fighters or whatever? You know, it's such a weird move to make that, like, 
almost why would why would they even make this record instead of just writing a piece for the talk house or something like honestly like <laughs> world butler reviewing different records on the internet is like a more effective delivery system for some of these thoughts than like making a 40 minute album and an entire press cycle devoted to like calling out the too much content or whatever i like the talk house shout out by the way that's like the unlikeliest talk house reference to squeeze in there that that, that was really i hope you got like a kickback for that well, I mean, I remember when those reviews came out, and uh, I enjoyed reading them. And it was fascinating to get the perspective of someone who's uh, living in it. And, you know, obviously it's what's very good about the talk house, but specifically, you know, to think about Will Butler being, uh, think, thinking about his critique now in uh, light of this record, it seems obvious that these are something, this is something that everybody in the band thinks about and cares about, or else they wouldn't have made this. But it just strikes me as the wrong medium. You know, ultimately, I don't really think a lot of people listen to music to, like, be talked down to, to be chided about why they suck, you know? (laughs) Um, It's just not the right fit. So, Arcade Fire at this point, you know, they're still a very popular band. You know, they're going to be going on a a tour later this year. They're going to be playing arenas. Um, I'm not sure how the tour is doing. I assume that they can still sell tickets because they're a really good live band. Um, but like, what what is the state of this band right now? I mean, you know, they win the Grammy for Album of the Year in 2011 for the Suburbs. You know, you could say that that was maybe the peak of their career, certainly the peak of their notoriety. And ever since that point, it just seems like there's been this sort of identity crisis. Or maybe it's not even a crisis. Maybe... They think they know who they are, but it's just the identities that they've chosen haven't worked, you know, or, or I don't know what it is. I mean, what do you, what, what's your take on just the overall state of Arcade Fire right now? I mean, do you feel like they're, I mean, you know, it's one thing to make a record that critics don't like, but you can still be in a good place, maybe artistically, you know, fans like you, or you can still sell tickets or, or, or any of those things. I mean, do you think this is a band in trouble? You know, or, uh, you know, have they just sort of gone through this backlash with critics and and they'll just kind of keep going on, you know, no matter what? Um, You know, something that Wynn Butler once said, I think it might have been around the reflector press cycle, but he pointed out the fact that these days bands have such longer careers because uh, even though there's less money in almost across the board, uh, there's still ways for bands to keep going, whether through touring or internet exposure, all these things. You can just keep on making records for longer because it's cheaper. You can get it out there. All the, whatever reasons are out there. And he pointed out that Arcade Fire at that point had been together longer than the Beatles were and released like a third of the music. Um, so I think they seem self-aware about a band that uh, could very easily call it quits at some point and then still have their uh, legacy to be talked about. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, they've signed a big, they signed a major label deal. They have another record. They can always keep headlining festivals. I mean, <laughs> at some point, you know, I think it, it goes with the territory, but they're just as complicit and if there's too much like content overload, you know, I mean, to go with the system as it is, uh, you know, they're not really, just kind of going along with the flow, which is totally the right. I mean, who's to begrudge anybody for taking a big record deal if Columbia wants to give it to you? But, 
you know, the purity of it doesn't really exist. Um, so I do think they're going to keep going. Yeah. I hope that it's a rut because it seems like a rut. It seems depressing. Who wants to make records for however many years about how the world is dour and, and crappy yeah. uh, and not even do a very good job at it? You know? And I think that's all right. I, I, th- I think you're you're correct there. I think that they have enough of a of a back catalog where they're going to probably just be, continue on as a touring act and, and, and still be strong. I do think, though, that creatively speaking, um, I think I'm done with them. <laughs> I think I'm, like, done being excited about Arcade Fire Records. I think I'm at the point now where I'm like, wake me up when they make a, a good record. But, like, until then, I'm probably not going to be overly excited about what they do because we are at a point now where... I mean, this is the second record that they've kind of made in this vein. And to me, they just seem confused. Like, they seem like a band that felt like they had to make a dramatic change at some point and made the sort of change that other bands in their position have done. Like, you know, a lot of people have made this comparison that, like, what they're at right now is kind of similar to where U2 was in the 90s, where... You know, they were this huge, successful arena rock band, you know, then became a stadium rock band. And it almost seemed like they didn't know what to, what to do next. So then they sort of went in this sort of electronic direction. And then they went in this sort of like, you know, like Arcade Fire, this sort of like satirical thing. You know, like we're going to talk about consumerist culture and... um and sort of like mock the bigness of the world that we're in now. I mean, that's what pop was. You know, it's like we're a stadium rock band and we're not wholly comfortable with being a stadium rock band. So we're going to sort of exaggerate the massiveness of this world that we're in in a way that we're not totally adept at because it's not really what we do, but we also aren't totally comfortable just embracing it ironically you know unironically and of course what happened with U2 is that eventually that they did become comfortable being a stadium rock band and they just sort of dropped the pretenses that you know of any kind of irony at all and they just sort of embraced what they did and they moved forward and you know certainly 21st century U2 there's a lot that you could criticize with that but you know they are a band that seems to more or less accept who they are and a lot of people love who they are and they've and they've moved forward um with Arcade Fire, for me, I I just get the sense from them that they do not know who they are, and they're not totally comfortable with who they are, and they're still trying to figure that out. Um, right. And I, I just wonder, like, mean, where they go from here? Like, what what is the next record going to sound like? Do they do a back to basics record after this? Do they like, you know, uh, you know, do like the Ariel Reichstead record after this? Like, you know, maybe do like sort of like a tasteful indie pop thing. I you know, I have no idea. Do they finally just hire Brian Eno, like go the whole hog? You know, like they, I feel like they've been dancing around Brian Eno for a couple years now, uh, using Brian Eno's surrogates. Um, I don't know. It, it's an interesting question, but I I don't know if I'm in a place now where I sort of give them the benefit of the doubt that their next record's going to be good. You know, I I feel like someone needs to tell me that I have to care at this point. Right. I mean, strike me as this seems totally crazy, but I feel like a crucial component to their uh, creative adventure has been the fact that Wynn Butler is such an avid basketball fan and kind <laughs> of 
you know, uh, an imperious one. I mean, you've got stories over the years of him stealing uh, death. You know, there, I think there's a story from 2007 or however long ago about him stealing basketballs from the pickup court or just like forcing people off them and him and his buddies can play. Because he's a tall man, he's been in multiple all-star games. And, you know, part of the whole sports thing, especially in basketball game, that is so much about imposing your will on the court, which... If you've watched his game tape, that's definitely what he does. You know, he is not out there to facilitate the flow of play. He's out there to make everybody aware that he is in control. He's going to get that rebound, you know, hit that that jumper. Um, and so when I think about how insistent the band's music has been, uh, tonally, regardless of what they're singing about, you know, whether or not the song like Wake Up, where they're telling you how majestic they are, or the suburbs where they're really leaning into the earnestness of the this nostalgia for the suburbs or even a record like this and they're saying like this is the way it is. It all stems from that like jackish insistence of this is the way it is and we're gonna impose ourselves. So, you know, where do they go creatively? Well, where's Wing gonna go? Where's he gonna how is he gonna evolve as a basketball player? Is he gonna what ideas is he going to come to next? Is he going to insist on instituting them in his music or is he going to open up, become more of a, you know, facilitator on the court? And then suddenly they go back to making open-hearted, beautiful, exhilarating music that gets people going instead of this very snarky, bitter stuff. Yeah, I, so, I, I mean, I, I saw someone talking about this, like on Twitter, I think, where they were like, well, what if Arcade Fire just made like a loud guitar record, almost like a you know like a like an emo revival type record where yeah kind of like what you were saying sort of like just a passionate rock record kind of in a, in the vein of funeral like would that be great and i don't know i don't know if that would be great i mean is that a record you want like 40 year old win butler to make it's not the same as you know like when they were you know in their 20s in in the early 2000s i mean going back again isn't always um the prescription for for moving forward. I mean, I, I feel like bands that succeed always sort of figure this out organically. Like they find a way to evolve in ways that like you wouldn't have anticipated, but when you look back, they make sense. Like that was always the magic of David Bowie, you know, that he could be Ziggy Stardust. And then the next year he could do Young Americans, like where he's doing soul covers. And at the time that must've just seemed jarring. But when you look back on the seventies, you're like, Oh, it, Totally makes sense, and it helped that he was still writing great songs across the board. Um, would, no matter what guys he was in, he could always write great songs. Um, and I feel like Bowie is obviously a model for Arcade Fire. I mean, when Butler has talked about sitting at David Bowie's knee and having David Bowie give him advice for his career and how he shouldn't care about his audience and how you know you have to, as an artist, you have to be sort of guided by your own instincts. Um, and I just feel like with Arcade Fire, I mean, I don't know if it's confusion or if there's no confusion and they just have really bad ideas. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to be kind of not know what to do. It's another thing to know what you have to do, but what you think you know you have to do is actually the worst thing to do. And it may, in fact, be the latter. You know, that may be the case, which is a really bad place to be in, I think, for a band. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where they move 
on from here? I mean, like, was Arcade Fire a big band for you? Like, when are you one of those people that was like blown away by Funeral and and felt like that was like a big moment in your life? Or like, what's your like, where are you coming from? I guess uh, so in that respect. When I was when Funeral came out, I was in high school, and Arcade Fire were beloved by the like, you know, uh, Ernest God, what what people used to call history in high school, which is like the kids who. Uh, went to animal collective shows and all that, you know, all buddies of mine and whatnot. But that wasn't the music that I was really listening to at the time. So I think at the moment it seemed a little too precious for me. But then, you know, I got older and I got over myself and realized that they were, you know, great. I mean, I, I didn't get into Neon Bible so much, but I loved the suburbs. I thought that that was a very, and, you know, I would not have been totally on board with a concept record about the suburbs, but, you know, I think they pulled it off. Um, and ultimately, and, and so sort of retroactively looking at Funeral, you know, I could always respect the fact that they were kind of going for it and were unapologetic about what their purview was. And even if they were, did have this like rustic pastoral point of view about like, you know, our mothers and our fathers and the children that need to wake up and all of that. You know, it's it's precious still, but the music to me just sounded so much better. It really accompanied the sentiment. Um, so yeah, I don't think there was never a point in my life where I was like, Arcade Fire is a band for me, but I certainly appreciated them much more than I do now. And, you know, yeah, when the suburbs came out and it was accoladed, that definitely seemed like the the climactic moment in, you know, the indie rocks rise over the last however many years. Like, that's where it gets. This is, this is as good as it gets for this strain of music. Yeah. In terms of ideology and sound and recognition, like, this is what it is about. Uh, you know, it's like, I remember I was interviewing uh, Broken Social Scene and Brandon Canning said something like, the struggle of making indie rock is that you're trying to do this emotional, this vague, idealistic, emotional thing, but your chops aren't always good enough to pull it off. So it's this constant tension of like, can I make, as the musician that I am, can I make the record that, you know, this vague uh, feeling, um, and of course that's the same of all art, but specifically when you think about like what defines indie rock, so to speak, in that era. Yeah, I thought Arcade Fire got like as good as it gets in terms of personifying that quest, that sound. Well, and, you know, in that 2000, you know, in that Grammy moment, you know, you know, Suburbs comes out in 2010 and they win the Grammy, you know, in February of, of 2011. You know, I remember at the time there was a feeling like, oh, this indie rock's arrived, you know, like now this is going to be sort of, this is finally the moment where indie rock is going to do what alternative rock did in the 90s and take over the culture. And in retrospect, it seems like the end of that era of indie rock. It seems like at that point is when even the underground started to move away from that kind of music being the focal point. And Uh we have this thing now where it's kind of hard to tell sometimes the difference between an indie rock culture and a pop music culture. It just seems like pop music is essentially subsumed indie music, you know, and it was a friendly takeover because a lot of the musicians who were ascendant at that time didn't want there to be a separation anymore in the same way that maybe musicians in the eighties and nineties did where they saw themselves as being in opposition to pop music, you know, that's over. And maybe arcade fire was the end of that. And I just think that's a fascinating thing that never really even occurred to me until just 
talking to you now, but yeah, I, I think at the time people thought this was a new beginning and it was actually the end, <laughs> you know, and maybe Arcade Fire is still trying to figure out where they fit in, you know, uh, in this new world because they kind of are an old school indie band in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but they're trying to move on from that musically, even if lyrically they haven't quite made that leap yet. Yeah, I mean, it, in retrospect, it is funny to imagine that uh, that might have been the beginning of the end because all these bands are still releasing uh, music. It just seems that they've gotten like better record deals. You know, I mean, like Vampire Weekend is about to release a record on a major label that seems pretty to uh, be very interesting. You know, like uh, Grizzly Bear, and they're all back. Um, and I think they're still terrain to be mine. I mean, you know, it's the kind of stereotypes about, uh, oh, guitar music is over or whatnot. Of course, it's not. It's just that, you yeah. know, whatever, there's fewer New Yorker profiles about it. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't mean those bands are over because, you know, like you said, like a lot of those bands are coming back this year and they've made really great records. I just mean like as far really, as them being emblematic of that right. scene, you know, like, right. like you it's know, like, like I think Grizzly Bear are still a great band, but they're not as emblematic of a certain kind of idea or of what indie rock is like they were in like 2009, you know, yeah, they're just sort of themselves right. now, which is maybe a better thing for them to be. It's probably less exhausting, but you know, it, it's not quite as freighted anymore. Like anything that they do, like the way it was. At, right. You know, at that that's time. natural. I mean, you know, yeah, the Grizzly Bear record this year, I think is great, but there's, it's definitely, there was, you know, a specific moment when I think, uh, you know, I don't know if it was Shields or Becca Timmons, but when it got like, it placed high on the Billboard charts or whatever, or, you know, you see Jay-Z at a show and it's like, oh my God, this is, this is a happening moment or whatever. This is where the movement is coming from, all this validation. And yeah, you know, all this is cyclical. The industry moves very, very quickly. Uh, and I, you know, I was thinking about how for some reason today, I was revisiting some record reviews from 2012 and just reading about how stuff was processed. I mean, to me, 2012 feels like yesterday. I mean, that's an album cycle for so many bands. Uh, but it's just another era as well. There may as well be a different era in terms of the landscape and what is pushed and what is most you know, relevant, as they say. Yeah, I mean, like, my memory of that time, like, like if you were going to make, like, a really corny movie about the early 2000s, like a period piece, it would be, like, in one scene, you're listening to Arcade Fire, and then and, and then in the next scene, it would be, like, Skrillex coming in or something, mm-hmm. like, like, dubs, like some dubstep drop. Like, that would be sort of, like, the cheesy, you know, you know, bad movie music shorthand for, like, talking about the early 2000s music scene, but, like, in a way, that's not totally inaccurate. I mean, at least as far as like what critics were hyping and what seemed to be happening, you know, there was that sort of abrupt change that happened around 2012, 2013. And it is interesting now that a lot of these bands are putting out records now. Some of them haven't made records since that time. Um, and a lot of those records are, are, are quite good. Um, but it's just interesting to kind of see how much music has changed you know, just like in the four or five years since like that time. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone has, you know, another thing that uh, I got from not to keep quoting my own broken circle scene, but there was one of the members, Charles Spear and said something about, 
when they were coming back, having to take this uh, very clear-eyed look at themselves. And he said something about how he was worried that they were going to suck, that there was just a good chance they were not going to be good anymore, because that's just what happens to bands when they get older. They run out of ideas and they make crappy records. Um, and then he was, of course, really thrilled that they did not make a bad record. But, you know, I mean, when we, when we talk about the self-awareness of creating something, uh, to really step back and be like, is this good? Is this bad? Um, and sometimes it just, it disappears for a minute, you know? Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens to Arcade Fire. If uh, this record catches on, I'm curious to see what the public reaction is going to be. The critical reaction has been pretty toxic. But I'm curious to see what fans think. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they embrace the record and how that affects this upcoming tour and where the band is going from there. Um, but Jeremy, thank you so much for talking with me about this, man. It's been great talking with you about this record. Uh, and uh, hopefully next time we'll talk about a record that we like a lot more than this one. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, take care. You too. All right. All right, that was me and Jeremy Gordon from Spin talking about everything now, the new Arcade Fire record. And like I said, I am curious to hear what you guys think about the record. So hit me up on Twitter. You can hit me up at the Celebration Rock Twitter account. That's Pod. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you thought about the episode. I always like to hear from you guys on the Twitter machine. I want to thank our sponsor for this week's episode. That was Blue Apron. And again, you can just go to blueapron.com backslash celebration. That's a special deal for our very valued Celebration Rock listeners. Thanks again, guys, for listening to this week's episode. We will talk at you again next week.